Hi, and welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Today's guest is another new Instagram friend, and his name is Nathaniel Hottership. He's the president and founder of Breathwork for Recovery and has worked as a professional healer for almost a decade. Using an arsenal of techniques with a special focus on breathwork, Nathaniel has helped thousands of people process trauma, disarm negative thought patterns, and maintain healthy and happy relationships with themselves and loved ones. Please enjoy my interview with Nathaniel. Hello, Nathaniel. Hi, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm actually kind of awesome today. How are you? Oh, not too shabby. Just finished my morning coffee, ready to rock the day. Yes, very awesome. Well, welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. We are very happy to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be on with you folks today. Yeah. So I think it's super funny since I've started this podcast, I have made more friends on Instagram than I thought was like even possible. I feel I feel like a millennial must feel, I would imagine. Because, <laughs> yeah, we I think I saw your stuff on Instagram. Is that right? Is that I was yeah, I stalked I stalked you and was like, hey, you seem cool. Be on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Not creepy at all, right? Hey, you know, not creepy at all. I found I'm not I don't like Instagram so much. I, I mean, social media in general, it's just like a giant loop reflector of all your own beliefs being shown right back at you. Right. So and then there's just the weird thing about like managing an account and all that nonsense. And like, I don't know, it gets weird. I just put it up there because I want to build a community and, right. and support and that really seemed like what you were doing too. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, yeah, I, I kind of look at it as a necessary evil, but yeah. here we are. So would you mind telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? So yeah, my name's Nathaniel Hottership. Sometimes you'll find me as Nathaniel V. Dust on the internet. That, I, I don't know what the hell to do about that. But <laughs> Yeah, I am the president and founder of Breathwork for Recovery, and what we do is utilize a breathwork technique to help people find resolution to their trauma, and so we kind of have three different prongs of approach that we do. We work inside of treatment centers, helping people find healing inside of treatment centers when they've checked in for substance use disorders or eating disorders, or maybe it's an adolescent program. And then we run weekly support groups called the Recovery Circle, and we do those for just a small donation that is not really mandatory. In fact, it's usually an aside. At the end of the group, we'll be like, oh, if you brought your donation, great. Put the $5 in the basket. If you didn't, don't worry about it. Have a beautiful night. Because we've noticed that there isn't really a transition of care from treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and so people don't have access to breath work outside of it, or if they do, it's expensive. Um, and, and the franchise uh, communities don't have access or don't even know what the hell breathwork is. So right. we wanted to make it accessible to everybody regardless of their socioeconomic status, their race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, sex, any of that stuff. So those are ongoing every week. We run two in Los Angeles and then Monday we're, we start in Brooklyn and then we have one going on in Tucson. And ideally, we're expanding down into San Diego and up into Portland, you know, relatively soon. And then we also are really excited about offering training for clinicians. So what we want is breath work to be given to clients in its most ethical form. And yes. So in order for that to happen, we want the right people to be trained. We want people who have mental illness training, who understand trauma and how to work with trauma, because at the end of the day, breath work 
is a trauma modality, and so we yes. want to be trained uh, correctly and in the, in the right hands because we watch a lot of folks that, you know, get sober or find real passion with breath work, and then they're like, oh, I'm going to go and do this inside of treatment centers, and they don't have any real training. Mm-hmm. They treat it as sort of like a yoga modality, and it's, while it is a pranayama yoga technique, you know, descending from India, it's a, it's a hell of a lot more than that, so... Right. I mean, I, I think I told you over email just a little bit about like one experience I had with breath work. And it it was so interesting to me because I, I know breath work has been calling me for years. And my issue with anxiety is that when I get super anxious, I find that I hold my breath. Mm-hmm. And so I know there's something with the lungs that I need to be moving. And I did it like a day workshop of breath work. And it was I had the most intense experience. And then when I left, it felt like I had slept for the night and then woke up and it was a new day. It was the weirdest thing and so powerful. Yeah, it can definitely do some strange things and time and space get a little wonky when you start working with the breath. For mm-hmm. sure. So I'd love to hear the path that that led you to this point, because I'm guessing there is some, you know, personal connection to to all of these different communities. So how'd you get here? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, I would say for me, I struggled with substance use disorders myself. So I was poly substance use. Uh, I really enjoyed methamphetamine. Uh, it was whiskey that almost took my life. Mm. I attempted suicide a few times and I'm a survivor of that, thank goodness. But in my darkest period, I, I realized that I needed help. I had been talking to my work-appointed therapist because I had basically burned everything that I had down mm. to the ground. So the therapist was like, Nathaniel, in the 25 years I've been doing this work, you're the worst case I've ever seen. And I was like, oh. Wow. I'm like, I'm 27 years old. How is this possible? Wow. And so, yeah, I checked into treatment about a week after that and thought that I was ready to go and, and wanted healing and it turns out that as I'm sure you know it's like it doesn't really matter how much you want it it's about the willingness mm-hmm. to do the work so I was really skeptical of anything they were doing and they brought this person named Corey Boris in to do this breathwork stuff and she was talking about self-love and burnt sage, and I was like, this is some dumb hippie crap right Awesome. Here. You can say shit, by the way. Oh, I, I, mark, I mark all these explicit because there's no way I can't cuss. <laughs> oh, thank God. Right, right. I said hell. I was like, I better, I better ask if I can say oh, shit. Oh, right. Yeah, I meant to say that. Yeah, sorry. Cuss oh, away. Cuss away. Excellent. So I was like, yeah, what is this dumb hippie shit? And she led us through this breathwork practice, and I was like, all right, well, I may as well do it, I'm here, and I participated, and I had such a profound experience that after the group, I was like, oh my God, Corey, how do I, how do I learn about this stuff? Mm-hmm. So she connected me to my now mentor, David Elliott, who is, does a lot of training out here in Los Angeles, and so I've been working with him last eight and a half years or so intimately with the breath, and a little while after I got sober, it was probably about a year, I started working into treatment centers and bringing this. It was sort of a, don't, I wouldn't call it a donation. It was more like I just wanted to come in and serve the people that were there. So yeah. I ran groups, you know, a couple of times a month. And then, yeah, I just watched it change a lot of lives. So throughout the years of me working with this, I've developed an apprenticeship program and Breathwork for Recovery is kind of an extension of that and getting people trained to do the work. Uh, in an ethical way, and then 
really just watching the treatment industry as it stands now and watching it with such dismay at how mm-hmm. we, are, we are doing treatment and how ah, just it really bums me out. And so breathwork right. is one of the things that also I watch, you know, many, the, much of the community is, you know, it's, it's available to people with privilege and mm-hmm. that's great. That's fine. But I don't see very many people of color coming in and doing the work and having access to the work or knowing what it is. And that just feels like such a great disservice. So I want breath work in the hands of the people that need it most. And it's usually the people who don't have access to it who need it. So I want that space for people to have access to it because if we're not, if we're not working with everybody, there's no point in doing the work. And I'm glad you bring that up because I think the whole field of yoga, breath work, the self-actualization part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is often only available to white people of means. And, you know, some of my friends and I were talking about the challenges. If you are a person who can't get your basic needs met, then for us to be like, oh, yeah, just go do some yoga or go meditate or do some breath work when they don't even have a space to call their own is is also kind of a privileged position for us to be putting on them. So I think it's such a huge challenge. And I love when I see there are a couple Uh, organizations that will take meditation into schools and have the kids do it in school because that you know they're captive (laughs) they're captive there and have a safe space if everybody's practicing together so I wish we could do more of that because I think that's where it starts yeah absolutely we're we are not treating addiction very well in this country at all Mm -mm. it all stems to me in my observation about the unresolved trauma that we have as a society yes. approaching this in the correct way. So, of course, people are going to reach outside of themselves for relief because when you find something that regulates your nervous system, yep. all of a sudden, wow, my, I feel great. Well, of course you do because you've had a dysregulated nervous system your whole life. Pain pills are going to do the trick. It's kind of a sad thing, and we really need to give children, adolescents, uh, the opportunity to learn how to regulate their emotions and deal with issues. Mm-hmm that they're not beholden to addiction when they start experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Right, exactly. And you're, I think you're so dead on with the nervous system. You know, we just opened an IOP, and that's something that, you know, people were asking, so, you know, if you're going to be a trauma-informed program, what does that mean? And I said, I'm going to help people understand what their nervous system feels like and how they know when they're dysregulated. And with one of our people the other night, we did this really great exercise where like, I was just kind of getting close to him and asking him if it was okay. And I could Mm -hmm. feel his body saying no, even though his head was saying yes. And so we took about half an hour to experience like, what does it actually mean when your body and your nervous system is inviting something versus pushing it away? How do you bypass your, your brain you know, overriding the, it should be okay for this person to sit next to me. And he's like, people have been telling me to get in my body for years, and I had no idea what that meant. Now I get it. And I'm like, yay, we did it! (laughs) Which I'm sure we haven't solved his addiction, but that's such a huge light bulb, you know? Yeah, it's really a remarkable thing when people can begin to feel what it's like to be in their body. And that Mm -hmm. was exactly, for me, why I love breathwork so much. Because it was like, 
for the first time I was in my body since I don't know when, and it was like, oh my mm-hmm. God, this is what this flesh and bone thing feels like. Wow, this is incredible. This isn't so bad. Wow, huh? Of course, is isn't going to be everyone's experience with their own body, but uh, for me, it was pretty miraculous, and I love to hear that that's the kind of work you're doing is giving people an opportunity to just get in their bodies. Yeah. So for people who are listening who are like, what the fuck is breath work? Um, what's your elevator speech for what breath work is? So breath work is a simple technique. There's a lot of different breath work techniques, and breath work is usually going to be an umbrella term to describe many different pranayama yoga techniques. So a lot of it's going to be breathing through the nose, the breath of fire, um, alternate nostril breathing, and all that stuff. So that they often will just call that breath work. So this mm-hmm. technique is a two-stage breath, and it's done lying down through the mouth. And essentially what's happening is you're quieting the mind long enough for you to have an experience of what it's like in your body. So Mm. you're breathing, you're putting more oxygen in, you're pushing the carbon dioxide out. So there's that lovely gas exchange that goes on, which most people, we don't have enough oxygen running through our body anyway because we're not breathing correctly. Yep. Then we're building vagal tone and allowing, essentially how I break that down is like giving person power to have control over their heart rate, which you're taking control of your autonomic nervous system. So Mm -hmm. just slow that heart rate down. So many things will follow. So that's going to happen. And at the end of the day, what we're doing is bringing people from the stages of freeze, from fight or flight response into the social engagement system and getting the social engagement system back on. So we're kind of peeling away the layers of the traumatic body. Amazing. It's so funny to me. Well, not funny. I guess it's just really interesting that, you know, breath work and yoga and meditation, all of these techniques, A, they're free and B, they are thousands of years old. And us white Westerners like thought we were like, no, 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 science and dirt, dirt, dirt. And we're going to figure out all these things. And it comes back to all of these ancient practices are actually like we, we have the tools. We don't need right. anything outside of self. Yeah, that is something that's really beautiful. It's a shame that we've kind of just cast aside these things and done what we have done with these modalities like meditation and breath work. They're really helpful. And the science is, the research is really clear about breath work and meditation and how useful it is for people struggling with trauma and PTSD and depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when when new clinicians because I teach as well and when new clinicians ask you know what is it that I should be learning I'm like something somatic I don't care what it is but that is where the field is heading and you know you mentioned earlier we're doing addiction wrong I think the thing that I really so my, my business partner had read in a book I can't remember what it was but that patients don't need an explanation they need an experience and so that's what we're trying to offer in, in treatment because addiction is not a prefrontal cortex disease. And for us to be lecturing and giving psychoeducation, that's not actually helping anything. Yeah, that's the experience I've witnessed working in treatment uh, for as long as I have is that the top down stuff isn't always as useful. I think it's a nice compliment mm-hmm. as long as people are, are in their bodies. But if you're not in your body, then all mm-hmm. of that stuff you're not able to retain the information or learn. Right. It's all about somatic work, whether that's whatever bottom-up 
method you want to go to. I don't care what it is, just start doing it. And I tell my clients a lot, if we're not treating trauma, we're not really treating addiction. We're just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound for you folks. I'm curious in your experiences, because I could certainly share mine with you, but have you experienced a client who says, I don't have any trauma? And I guess, how do you work with that? And how do you open people up to the idea of some of their ordinary life experiences have actually been traumatic. Yeah, I think the way that I phrase it, a wonderful uh, clinician kind of put it this way to me one time, and I was like, oh, that's genius, I'm going to use that. And she basically said that trauma is going to be different for everybody. And so maybe I bump my knee on a coffee table, and I get away from it just fine, but someone else bumps their knee on the coffee table, and they're bruised for the next three weeks and hobbling around so mm -hmm. I kind of phrase it in that way like I don't get to decide what is traumatic to you and not necessarily to you either your nervous system is right the one that makes up the decision whether to become dysregulated or not due to the traumatic event and it could be something as simple as a little bit of bullying that goes on fender bender can be considered traumatic you know you break your leg and you don't resolve that that can be traumatic but so many of us are just conditioned to believe that this normal functioning in society is okay. I, the example uh, that comes to mind to me was just I was leading a group about shame yesterday mm. and we were talking about things and they were talking about disciplining their child and how there's a big difference between a spanking and abuse. And I was like, well, the nervous well, system right. is really going to distinguish between those two things and kind of broke it down and it's just so fascinating how normalized we are to violence i mean it's just like mm -hmm. that's okay. okay to you know and i kind of explained like if you're going to put hands on someone regardless of whether it's discipline or not like there's something wrong with your nervous system probably you're, mm -hmm. you're a little regulated because if you jump to violence from this place of fear or anger well yeah, we might want to take a look at that. So I kind of try and frame it as like, I don't get to decide what's traumatic. And some of us may just, you know, talk about these normal life situations, which our nervous system is going to interpret as traumatic. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is that it's it's your body that has decided and that it sounds like a conversation we were having with our group last night about family of origin stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and divorce in families and yes. our patients saying like, oh, well, the, you know, the divorce didn't bother me or it's not that big of a deal that I don't talk to one of my parents. And I'm like, mm, yeah, you think that, but how are you feeling inside? And, you know, I remember my, my brother's experience of our parents got divorced when I think I was probably eight. And so he must have been five. And it was traumatic just based on the way that our parents were interacting through the whole thing. And if I really think about what my little nervous system was doing at that time, I felt completely unsafe. So I always kind of categorized that as a traumatic event. And my brother didn't until like, two years ago and finally recognize what what a terrible experience that was, even though on the outside or on paper, you know, someone might not say like, oh, that was traumatic, but we felt wholly unsafe. And at that age, it is a survival thing. If your parents are not there for you, you literally could die because you can't fend for yourself. Yeah, such a fascinating thing. Uh, again, we just normalize these situations where it's like, yeah, that is a pretty normal occurrence. And also as a child, the impact that it has on you is severe. Mm -hmm. We just kind of ignore it. It's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. right. Yeah. 
I don't, uh, I feel like I'm fighting this giant machine when it comes to that, right? Because it's not just, that's just not in the addiction industry. That's everywhere. Yeah, it's our entire society. We haven't addressed any of the issues that need addressing. And really, the SAMHSA website even lists, like, uh, to be trauma-informed care, you've got to address the issues of gender, sex, sexual orientation, race, religion, all of that stuff to be truly trauma-informed. And mm-hmm. we in the United States have not really addressed colonization. We haven't right. addressed, you know, that we've pretty much been a nation at war our, since its inception. And we haven't addressed these issues, so of course we're going to be dysregulated and traumatized. And it's coming to a head now where we've developed these drugs that it's so easy to access anything that you want. Of course we're going to take that route because we haven't dealt with our issues. And as a society, until we confront that and talk about race and talk about discrimination, talk about bias and do the work from from that perspective, we're going to get churned up by this machine. I feel that quite a bit myself there, Sarah. I'm glad to hear that I'm not alone in that, you know. Yeah. So before we get into this, I do want to acknowledge that we are two white people having this discussion, and I will absolutely own my privilege in this. But a thing that I've been really thinking about in like, what is my contribution to issues of race and What I see with white people who don't admit their racism due to, like, we live in a culture of white supremacy, I think that it comes down to shame. And what I know about shame is the person who is experiencing shame needs empathy in order to make a connection to that shameful thing. And I'm trying to figure out how to leverage my experience as a white person and give space for other white people to say I'm racist because we are inherently even if that's not what we think it's because we continue to participate in this culture and I can empathize with why that would be hard for other people to admit it's been the last couple years things that I've been really thinking about and really recognizing holy shit I am racist and I you know, I want to be clear to listeners that I'm not saying that with pride. I'm saying that with authenticity of recognition of my shadow side, right? So I feel like there's so much work that needs to be done in the realm of shame to make more space for, for white people to essentially come out of the closet in admitting racism and how we contribute to it. Yeah, I like that perspective quite a bit. It's important that I feel like we can check our privilege and to own the inherent bias that we all have as human beings and especially in the culture that we exist in when we're contributing to white supremacy and how much more opportunity I've had because my name mm-hmm. is Daniel and because I'm a white male and all of those issues and to say look I have I bias like I grew up in Utah and I didn't meet a person of color for many years till I was, I think, in junior high. And wow. I became friends with a lovely gentleman. And it, it was just such a fascinating thing. To, and then to realize, like, oh, my God, my entire life has been this contribution to racism, to, to sexism even on my part, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Check that stuff and say, hey, look, it's not that I'm this intentional being going out there and, and doing these things. It's that right. I have lacked awareness my entire life about Mm -hmm. these issues and for me to say yeah you know what I have this bias and I need to check it and I need to be aware of it and I need to help other people come to that awareness as well so that we can provide 
healing for ourselves and for everyone else. And it really is this cultural wound of, you know, colonization. Like literally from day one, my husband was telling me something. I can't remember what it was, but the other day, oh, he was talking about, I think, Guatemala because he was just there and just different ways that white people have just like literally all we've done is come in and take shit from other cultures. And it's just like, I just can't even believe how power has motivated. No wonder we're at this place where we define success in a monetary and and power dynamic sort of way, because this is literally what's been going on for centuries. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. That's pretty much all we've done. And even in that space, I have to really check myself and the origins of breath work and make sure that I mm. give like, hey, this is going to be a technique that Generally, they have their roots in India and the traditions that live there. And yeah, I think it's, it's an important discussion that we have because if we don't address these issues, then we're firstly not providing trauma-informed care for the people that are in our care. And mm -hmm. then we're not resolving our own issues and not providing a safe place for ourselves and uh, the healing that needs to occur for us to be the, be the best that we can be. Mm-hmm. Who knew we were going to talk about racism today? Love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you have to if we're yeah. going to have a conversation about healing trauma. I think yeah. that people are disservice by not discussing it. Yeah. So speaking of healing, maybe let's shift into the discussion of the word healer. So when you think of that word how does it apply to you, if at all? What are your thoughts about it? Uh, so on my business card, I have the, I write, the heretic healer, heretic healer. Ooh. And I've taken that kind of moniker. It was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing. And the word heresy has the etymological roots are about being, having a right to choose. Mm. So if you're a heretic, you're choosing something else. And it's... Mm. it's Catholic Church and their like the Christianity is the only true thing and you know the heretics were the ones who believed in the gospels you know Thomas and the Nazis. Mm -hmm. so heresy is about having the right to choose and mm. as a healer I don't necessarily like that always always had kind of sour taste in my mouth because of just what people have done with that word and, and right. the, the abuse of power that is often there it's like oh I'm a healer it's like uh, well okay Really what I want to do is give clients the ability to heal themselves and hold space for them to do the work and for me to just provide a container for the healing to happen. So I don't feel that I necessarily have any healing abilities. Uh, I'm just going to be able to hold some space for people to do the healing they need to do and give them choice, give them the power of choice back. Because mm. you know, with trauma... Trauma robs you from the ability to choose. You can't choose that your nervous system is going to respond in the way that it responds. You don't mm -hmm. get to choose once you become addicted to a substance. You don't get right. to choose the freedom that's there. So to me, it's all about providing choice, giving people back the ability to choose their own healing. So uh, that's what I would say about the word healer. So it's interesting that it's on your business card, but at the same time, you're like, mm, not sure about how I use that. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, very paradoxical. Yeah. I don't necessarily fit into the mold either of, like, I'm not going to wear these white flowy robes and talk about, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say, hey, put this rose quartz crystal on your chest. 
it'll help you open your heart. I'm going to be like, well, we got some work to do, and things are fucked up right now. I just want you to be aware about, of that, and let's see what we can accomplish. So I don't necessarily fit into the healer world, and for a lot of the reasons that we talked about just previously before we transitioned to this, uh, a lot of it is just continuing that saga. Well, I think the healer world is changing, you know? I mean, I, I find the people that I would call healers or people doing healing work, I think they're more like us. They're tattooed and mohawked and cussing. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a call for a new level of authenticity right now. And I think we're answering that call. So why can't that be a healer? It's just not the historical yeah, I like that quite a bit, and there is a change. There is a, um, a resistance that's, that's moving, and I think it is shifting into people. You know, people that are doing the work are starting to reveal themselves more and more. It seems. I guess this kind of moves us into the the wounded healer question, but I find that one can't be a healer unless they are revealing their own wounds. I think it's an interesting path for people to take. The wounded healer. Uh, I don't know if it's something, if I could go back and say, oh, yeah, this is definitely what I wanted to choose was all this pain this lifetime. Something that's been resonating a lot with me lately is the statement that within the cure is always a bit of the poison. And mm. So trauma to me is all about that, right? Because trauma is unconsciously seeking healing out all the time. That's why we find ourselves repeating mm -hmm. the same shitty patterns over and over again and dating the same people over yep. and over because it's trauma that's in our nervous system is trying to find healing. So for me, that wounding is part of the power that comes to people once you move through. Uh, I hate the word mastery is there, I guess, I suppose, um, even though I don't know that I'll ever become a master of anything. <laughs> right. So, the more uh, the answers I find to things, the more questions I have. So the wounded healer is something, a role that I take very seriously and at the same time with a little bit of lighthearted tenderness as well. To be able to be aware, and I think this is where it's critical that we become aware of our own wounding because we're not going to be able to take our clients to the level of healing that they need if we haven't done the work ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's walking that razor's edge of, you know what, yes, I am wounded. And to be able to speak to that when my nervous system gets dysregulated in a group and be like, whoa, yeah. Like, hey, this thing's happening to me right now. It doesn't mean I'm immune from it. Or, you know, to be able to take the wisdom that I've gained from my own healing um, and bring it to other people. I think that that's really the purpose of the healer is to lighten the darkness a little bit. And to be able to sit in the darkness and to be comfortable with the darkness. Mm -hmm. And say, hey, you're not so bad. You're just darkness. Right. Right. You know, I love that, you know, you will model that for people in group because I think that's that's the other piece of, of having an experience instead of just teaching someone like, boop, 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 let me tell you what happens when your nervous system is dysregulated. Like, no, let me show you. <laughs> this is what it looks like. It's funny, I gave a talk uh, last weekend about shame and someone asked a question I kind of fumbled with my answer because it wasn't something that I'd answered before. So I was kind of like thinking out loud with it. And then somebody else made a comment and was like, I'm really surprised you said that, you know, and then kind of was a bit judgmental. And my response was, okay, so I'm experiencing shame right now. Mm. And let me tell you what that's like for me. And then we can talk about this experience and how the vulnerability 
that I'm opening up to. Like I'm trying to show you how how this works in real time and just being really honest with you. I'm lucky that I've done enough shame work that I know exactly what this is and can model it for you. But that is the wounded healer. That's our job, right? Is to be able to show this is what icky looks like, but this is also what manageable ickiness looks like once you've once you've done the work yeah absolutely because people i think get this idea that you can just heal trauma and then you're done with it and never have to deal with it again yeah oh well we're just creating a new baseline i think and reducing the amount of time that you spend in the dysregulated state so i'm going to become dysregulated uh, and also i'm going to get so much better at discharging that energy from my nervous system and getting back into a grounded, embodied state. And that's really what trauma healing is about. Because I want my nervous system to light up when when I meet a violent client to let me know that there's the potential for violence. I want to be aware of that and like, oh, okay, this is important information. Or whether it's sexual abuse or... Mm -hmm. Whether it's shame, of course, you know, right? Your nervous system is going to give you so much important information. And really, it's about like letting that dysregulation happen and then coming back into a regulated state so much more quickly. You're smart as fuck, dude. (laughs) Are you going to write a book or something? Like, I just really, I feel like I'm just sitting here, like, you know, my head in my hands, like just listening. I love it. (laughs) well, Well, thank you very much. Yeah, one day I think I'll write a book. I'm I'm in the middle of some fiction novel right now that I want to finish before moving on to writing about breathwork and trauma. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it'll come, I think, at some point. I would like that to happen. I'm also curious because you said that you're working to train other clinicians using breathwork. And I'm guessing that other therapists who might be listening to this are like, me, me, I want to do it. I want to be trained. So can you share a little bit about what that might look like if people are interested in getting trained? Yeah, certainly. So my mentor teaches kind of the basis, the foundation of the work a little bit. He wouldn't call himself a clinician. He would just say he's a healer and a reluctant healer at that. He has developed some training. So uh, we've talked about incorporating more, some other things around it. So he does the initial trainings and I teach the first one as well. So I'll teach the first training, which is just breath work. It's it's called healer training, oddly enough, if we're talking about (laughs) how much I hate and love that word. And then I've developed four different trainings. There'll be a few more. I'm waiting on the tail end. A few things because I want to incorporate some racism training into the modules. And I have met a gal and she's going to be leading my team through some racism training. And I want to ideally incorporate that. So it's it's not ready just yet. I want to finalize a few things. So we're going to align with probably camped and maybe be NADAC to offer some continuing education for people so that if you're a therapist or you're a KDAC or uh, you're aligned with NADAC, you can get some continuing education hours and then get an overview of what this work looks like and a treatment level, you know, working with clients who have trauma because this work can dysregulate somebody and people have severe sexual abuse trauma can really have some powerful experiences and they may not like it they may not even be ready for it so it's it's important to be trained so that's going to be coming out i think in the late fall or early spring and that doesn't mean that you can't take the initial trainings with me already so Mm -hmm. if you're interested about that you can contact me certainly at breathworkforrecovery.com shoot me an email and be like, hey, I'm interested in this training. would love to learn more. The trainings that I'll be doing with the continuing education, what I'm going to 
try and do is make them available online too, so you'll be able yeah. to and online because we live in a virtual world, and I think that there's a lot of great virtual therapy that's going on, and so we want to make it accessible to people as well. So. Yeah, you are killing it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really stoked to be on today with you and and just learn, you know, from you as well, and and the wisdom that you have. Yeah. Because we need, we need more of it, and it's just not out there enough. Yeah, and that's why I've been so pleasantly surprised and excited by just, like, randomly meeting people on Instagram who seem to be doing cool things and to join forces. And even, you know, even if we, we don't technically do something together, like, we've created this connection that now there's, like, a cycle of energy that, like, won't be broken, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I know. I want to do everything. I need to clone myself and then like connect all their brains together because there's literally not enough time to do all the things I feel like I really need to do in this lifetime. Yeah. They're, well, there's not. It's <laughs> It sucks. <laughs> it does. There's so much cool stuff out there that's going on. Just really rad healing that's happening. Yeah. I think we can wrap up because we've we've been so succinct and excellent in this interview. I'm very impressed with us. But is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you feel like is really important to share with people? Yeah, I would just say that if you folks are in recovery from mental illness or trauma, uh, substance use disorders, eating disorders, anything like that, which pretty much covers everybody. Uh, pretty much everyone, yeah. Mm -hmm. We do run the recovery circle and that is available virtually. So mm. wherever you're at, if you're in the middle and you want to join us, you can join us online and we'll get folks the, the link. And you can just find us at breathworkforrecovery.com. And you can just reach out and let us know, hey, I want to join via Skype or whatever. And we'll get you folks connected so that you can do the breathing with us. And our vision is to make this accessible to everybody, regardless of whether they're they know about it, whether they have the money to do it or not. We just want this work out there in communities. And so if you're interested in breath work and you're in recovery or you need some healing in your life, please just reach out and we'd love to have you join us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nathaniel. You kick ass. Yeah, and you do too, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for sticking around to listen to my interview with Nathaniel. As always, you can find more information about him on my website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the awesome album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.